630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. Edmonton's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on the voice of your Edmonton Oilers and Eskimos. 630 Chad. We'll give it up for Bennett. Lead pass right-hand side. Dayarnay on his back end. He'll take it behind. Here inside. Give it up. One-timer score! Another request from the text line. Oilers' favorite moments of the season. That texter wanted to hear Oscar Clefbaum tied up late in the third period, game five against the San Jose Sharks. And earlier we played the DeHarnay overtime winner from that one. The Oilers' season is done. They get in 13 games of playoff experience, 2-1 the game seven loss last night to the Anaheim Ducks. My name is Reed Wilkins, and I'm pleased to welcome back to our airwaves from the Oilers broadcast on Sportsnet, Drew Ramenda. Drew, thanks for making time for me. You've been so generous to uh, old Wilkie over the last couple of weeks. How are you doing? Okay, buddy. How are you? Well, I'm doing well. It was, uh, you know, Rob and I did the shows from Rogers Place last night. You could uh, you could feel the tension with all the people watching it on the big screen. And uh, man, oh man, Drew, I just I just look at that second period. It was it was just a lost period. And I know they got out of it still with a chance to to win a period and win the series. But uh, that was a tough one. I mean, the Ducks cranked it up, and the Oilers couldn't quite get the momentum back in that middle twenty. Yeah, you know, game sevens are funny because I've been involved as three as an assistant coach with the Sharks, and and um, there, it's a lot. There's a lot of hype going into it. It's game seven, and everybody's excited. It's game seven, and it's going to be a great game because it's game seven. It's move on and or go home, and but the games are never really that good. And what the games come down to is, and I think Nick Kiprios or Craig Simpson talked about it last night on on the air. It comes down to those one-on-one battles along the boards, getting pucks out, getting pucks in. I thought the Ducks did an outstanding job, actually, after uh, Kajula scored. They just brought the pinch all day long, and I didn't think the wingers for the Oilers were able to, to battle through those pinches. I didn't think they played high enough. I didn't think they played strong enough along the boards, and that's what eventually got them in trouble for that first goal, is that the pressure just kept coming and the pinches kept coming, and the, and the Oilers couldn't get the pucks out. And then they just got checked into the ice. That's that's really what it was. But when you look at that series, that's a very experienced team who are top-heavy with some good top two lines, who play a very physical, tough game, yet the Oilers were there every single step, and the game in the series was decided by one goal. So I think Todd said it. They've, they've laid a foundation. They've, they've laid a template for... Um, for moving forward. But you're right, that second period was the pressure of the Ducks and the inability to combat that and, and defeat that pressure. Well, and somebody called in last night to Rob and I and said, you know, why why didn't the Oilers try to counteract with a four-check? And the point we made was because all you're doing on your shift is getting barely okay. getting the puck out, dumping it in and changing. And then the next line is on their heels to defend already. Yep, you're defending, defending, defending. I think we, we talked about this. I think John Tortorello is a guy that said it. The key to the playoffs is getting momentum as quickly as you can, keeping it for as long as you can, and when you lose it, getting it back as quickly as you can. And 
the momentum the Ducks had, they just kept going and rolling the line and rolling the line. And the orders, as you say, you and Rob astutely point out, they were kept in their zone the whole time. And, and all you are, defending is hard work. Any coach will tell you, defensive zone coverage is nothing but attitude and hard work. But sometimes that hard work is just too hard for a minute, 30, 45, 90 seconds, whatever it happens to be. You, you just can get the puck out so you can change, and then the next line comes out there. But then the Ducks are changing, and here they come again. It's, they did a terrific job of keeping the momentum. You know, a, a caller off the top of the show tonight asked a, a, a good question, I thought. He said the Oilers, you know, did great in the regular season because they got heavier and they were better able to grind some teams down. But were they quick enough to get in on a quick, on a quick duck defense once it came down to crunch time in the playoffs? And I said, you know, it's, it's, it's a fine line. You're always looking for that balance. Do you think, though, the Ducks' D wound up just being a little too quick for some of the Oilers' four-checkers? Add to that, yes, and add to that how many times or how well, I should say, and this is not complaining about the officials, don't get me wrong, I'm not, I'm not doing that, how well, though, the Ducks pick and, and interfere and, and screen you off. They give their defense, the forwards do an outstanding job of giving their defense that little extra time to beat the first, the first four-checker or to get time to get to the puck and move it out. They are really probably the best team in the National Hockey League at throwing picks, little interference, and they do it in a way that doesn't cause them to take penalties but certainly slows up your forecheck. So yes to your caller, but also add to that the ability off the puck by the Ducks to run some interference. Yeah, that's a good question. And I know people have complained about uh, yeah. some of the uh, behind-the-play cross-checks and slashes oh, yeah. and, I mean, and stuff, if, too. But if you, watch the, if you watch the playoffs now, watch anybody play. Yeah, it's Patrick Hornquist doesn't know how to hit without cross-checking somebody for <laughs> Pittsburgh. He doesn't. He, I, it's unbelievable. Everybody hits with a cross-check nowadays. I, I thought we were taking that out of the game. Well, okay. Let's let's go down that road because that's and, and again, you're not you're not doing a, a ref complaining no, session. Not that's not what this is, no. because you know I mean, we've seen the game go through evolutions. I mean, let's go back. I assume most of my my listeners are probably at least twenty, so at least most of them can probably remember the dead puck era right. and New Jersey late nineties. Not that those teams didn't have some good offensive players, but you saw a lot of two one games and fifteen right. shots on goal. And then they tried to open it up after the lockout, and there were more power plays. And it seems this is my fourth season doing this, and I there this is the most complaints I've had about stick work, interference, picks, and behind the play stuff. Are we at a point here where the NHL needs to step in and make a decision with the rules? Well, I think a couple of problems here have occurred. One, that the NHL moved out all the good refs, all the good veteran refs are all pretty much leaving now. They've all been either pushed out or, or retired on their own. So these new young refs have come in, and the standard, which we always talk about, whatever that may be, the stick standard, the interference standard, whatever standard we're talking about as far as the ref's standard on making calls has not only from, the, from one year to the next diminished and dropped, but from the start of the season till the playoffs, it's dropped. Now, here's the argument that I've, people have thrown at me. Well, we just want to let the players decide. We don't want the refs to decide the game. By the refs keeping the whistle in their pocket, by ignoring calls, they're deciding the game. That way, when you have a game or a team that can get away with 
with those types of plays, if, you're, if the referees are putting their, their whistle in their pocket and the standard is slipping, then you allow the, the, the teams that aren't as skilled, or at least you, what you do is you allow the skilled teams to bring, be brought down to the lowest common denominator. You allow them, the skill level to drop because you're allowing the hooking, the holding, the, the, the cross-checking, whatever it may be. You've allowed the... Not the I want to say grinders or muckers or, or, or anything like that, but I, I don't mean disrespect to teams that can do it. But what I'm saying is that the highly skilled, quick, fast teams, like we know that the Oilers can play, their game gets brought down to the muddier level, and that's why um, we can we do and we've seen differences in the way the game has been called from the start of this year to the end of this year. You know, I, I didn't think we were going to start talking about this, but but I want to keep going down this road because I, I brought this up before. And uh, hockey is interesting in that let's look at what the NFL and to a and to also an extent the CFL have done. Yep. You don't touch the receivers. Yep. Don't don't hit the quarterback. Don't even think about hitting him late. Uh, the the uh, you know the 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 National Basketball Association, you know. We're gonna we're gonna let the skilled players shoot. You, you know, stuff. Can take seven steps to jam it. Yeah, yeah. Like now, travel. They basically said traveling is legal yeah. in the NBA. It's it's a weird mentality. Whereas hockey has said, nope. We still want to make it as hard as possible for the offensive players. Yeah, the skilled guys um, don't get a lot of room. Like if if you look at just in that first series, Connor had drawn forty nine penalties going into the playoffs, most in the National Hockey League, and he draws them because of his, spill, because of his speed. And then yet in the, in the San Jose series, he doesn't draw any. Or he drew one, I think, late, late, late this, that series. Um, it is still that mentality. There is still that old thinking mentality in the National Hockey League. Um, that's why we don't get very many exciting Game 7s. How many penalties were on last night? How many penalties did we see last night? Yeah, both teams were 0 for 1 on the power play. Yeah, exactly. 0 for 1 on the power play. Okay, now, in a normal season, in, in say we take this, the Edmonton Oilers and the Anaheim Ducks and move that to December, how many penalties are we seeing? Oh, Four, last five, night? Yeah. Probably 9 to 11. Yeah, exactly, right? <laughs> so, the, it, is, it is an attitude. It is, uh, and you said, it's an NHL, NHL officials thing that has to has to change, but if the people in charge of the, of the league, and this is the people in the league and general managers, let's not forget the general managers in this, because a lot of lobbying goes on. I've been in the in the room uh, as when I was assistant coach, and we would the supervisor of officials comes by to see you before a game or the morning skate or something like that that, that is doing the series, and the head coach gets to and the general manager get to sit there and complain to him the whole time, right. and he goes, yeah, yeah, okay, 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 and then he leaves. And he goes and talks to the referees, and he's also going to talk to the other team, and he lets the referees know. But those types of things get lobbied for, either call more for us or call less against us or whatever it may be. Those types of conversations go on all the time. And um, it, it can't help but influence the officials. They're human beings. They're going to get influenced. Drew Remender joining us on Inside Sports at 7.16, breaking down the uh, end of the Oilers' season. We got a little off topic there, but I think it was worth yeah, talking right. talking about it. We're getting some good texts about it, too, that I'll get to after. Uh, let, let me put this one for you, a bit, a little bit general one here before we wrap it up, Drew. Right. The Oilers played 13 playoff games. Any individual or 
team elements that really surprised you, whether it was in a positive or negative way? Well, how many times are we going to talk about Jordan Everly and Benoit Pouliot and Ryan Nugent Hopkins, right? Well, all, everybody knows that. Everybody, most of the show there. tonight. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's out there. So decisions are being made on a hour-by-hour, day-by-day basis, and Peter Shirley and Todd McClellan and, and both staffs, the management and coaching, know what they're doing there. And I'll be surprised to see all three of those guys back in an Oiler uniform. It's just the way it is. The, game, the team has taken a giant step forward, but they still have to grow. It's a step forward. They're still nine wins short of the Stanley Cup. So lots of things will happen. Lots of things will change. What I liked about this team was how determined they were. And determination is a wonderful thing in hockey. There were a lot of, more than not, as far as the Oilers team from top to bottom, they played a determined game. They were not going to be pushed away from games that got physical. They weren't going to be pushed out of games that got high, that got fast. Um, they weren't going to be pushed away from games that were high scoring one way or the other or low scoring. They were a team that could adapt and did adapt um, to their opponents and a lot of times dictated the way the game was going to be played. And when they dictated that speed game, maybe nobody could touch them. And that's, we saw that in both series. Mm-hmm. They still, as I said, have a way to go. And this year's success does not mean automatically that next year will be just as successful, but certainly the template is there. There's a lot of good things I see on this team, chemistry-wise, leadership-wise. But, boy, how many times have we talked about the lack of that in previous years? Yeah. Okay, sorry, did you say you would be surprised if all three of you you think they're all going to be gone? No, I'd be surprised if all three of them were still. I think there could be one, two, maybe three. But I don't think it'll be a wholesale. I mean, I could... I could make an argument for, for you know, at least Ryan Nugent Hopkins on that group, but Jordan Everly and Benoit Puglia is as their their game, their the way that they played. Uh, Benoit, I thought there were some moments where you looked at Benoit and said, you know what, okay, I can see why yeah. people are drawn to him, but Jordan just when I when I talk about determination, I didn't think Jordan had much in his game. You know, in the old West, they talk sand. The boy's got sand. I didn't think Jordan had much sand in his game. Now, he is a terrific hockey player, and he's a good team guy, and people like him. And you might look at him and go, okay, that's his first experience in the National Hockey League playoffs, so you might give him a, a break, but he is. He can score in the regular season. You could look at this year and go, it was a one-off. Who knows what they're going to look at. when it? But determinations are already being made, and I'm – I know people think I'm arrogant, but I'm not arrogant enough to tell Peter Shirley what to do. Um, but I, I look at a lot of the positives that this team had this year, as I just you know, I mentioned some of them. And that the biggest thing is, and I, you saw it in, in some of the things the guys tweeted out after the game, how proud they were to play with this team and for each other. Mm-hmm. And, boy, that's a nice thing to hear about when it comes to Edmonton other hockey and, and after all these years. Drew, I don't think you're arrogant, just confident, and there's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> no, my, even my mother-in-law, my dear, my dear late mother-in-law, Donna Drummond, said she, I was one of the most arrogant people she's ever met. Oh, my and I looked goodness. At her and went, and? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're like, what's your point? Well, th- thanks for wrapping it up for us. Uh, it is going to be an interesting team to follow, and uh, I, I do think the decisions with the three players you mentioned might be uh, the most interesting thing to pay attention to this offseason. Drew, I'll be in touch, man. Thank you so much again. Okay, Reed. You take care.
All right, 780-496-0063. It's 721 Inside Sports on Chad. This is Oscar Clefbaum from your Edmonton Oilers, and you're listening to the Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio 630 Chad. Dowdy back to get it for the Kings. Crowd on its feet. 50 seconds away from the postseason. Shovel down to center. Here's Kopitar. Wrist shot off the rush and a save made on Brzezinski by Cam Talbot. The desperate Kings working around the end boards. Martinez. 35 seconds to go. Kopitar deep left corner. Crowd in an absolute frenzy. The puck pinned in the corner. Four players digging at it. Work free to Martinez. One time up top, kick save made by Talbot. 20 seconds to go. Wrist shot, save Talbot. Rebound, top of the blue paint. Wrist shot, Martinez, save Talbot. Kopitar bangs it off the back of the net. 12 seconds, wrist shot, Martinez, save made by Cam Talbot, who freezes the puck with 11.9 to go. Well, more of Jack Michael's greatest hits. Late in the game on March 28th, where the Oilers clinched a playoff spot by beating the Los Angeles Kings. Thanks a lot for tuning in at 726 Inside Sports on Oilers and Eskimos Radio 630. Ched, we will have an Eskimos preseason game for you one month from today when they play a preseason game against the Calgary Stampeders. We have Ron on the line. Ron, thank you for calling. Hey, Reed, How's it going? I'm doing quite well. Uh, excited and disappointed. That's fair. Yeah, excited to see them after 11 years in playoff. Disappointed, they lost the fifth game in controversy, and and actually, I just shaved my playoff beard, and the tear rolled out of my eye. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that, buddy. Yeah, it has to be done. So, Reed, my question is: Now the season is done for the Oilers. Where do they stand in the draft? What position are they going to pick? Yeah, they're going to pick 22nd. They would have picked uh, 24th. But what happens is if, if you make the final four, uh-huh. you you're, then you pick in one of the final four spots. So Nashville and Ottawa get lowered down in the draft. So a team like the Oilers gets moved up. Ah, I see. And who, and who are they thinking of picking up? for the draft any idea Ron I gotta be honest with you I have no idea and I'm gonna be blatantly honest I've Mm -hmm. been shirking my duties as a broadcaster I have done zero draft research and actually I'm proud to admit that because I was covering the playoffs hey that's okay we have still time to go and we can figure it out right is that okay yeah yeah. thank you so much okay thanks Ron appreciate it 780-496-0063 some texts here. Uh, this texter says, uh, Reed, I don't know why you are picking on Eberly. At least when he was in the offensive area, his feet were moving and he was cycling well. There were a lot of guys standing still, not moving to openings, not finishing checks. That includes McDavid. The Oilers just did not play good enough. Well, they definitely didn't last night. Uh, the Big L says, Reed, to be fair, Everly joined the Oilers during a very tumultuous time. Most remember him for his success at the World Juniors, but when he joined the Oilers, there were unrealistic expectations that he, along with Hall, Nuge, and Yak, 
would carry the team with their combined offensive flair. Everyone knows how that went. Everly needs to evolve, if not in Edmonton, then somewhere else. Just look at Schultz and Dubnik, two very good players who lack the right kind of environment for growth and improvement with what was a very sorry organization. Well, there's no doubt about that. I mean, the Oilers brought in some young players and didn't give them much support. That, that's an absolutely fair comment. Um, but I still stand by the fact I think Eberle had an underwhelming playoff, and I wonder if, like Justin Schultz, uh, a change of scenery might be what the doctor ordered. That's going to be a huge story in the offseason. 7.29, we got time for phone calls and texts inside Sports on Chad. Leon dry settle down the middle, reach shot, score! McDavid backhands it toward the empty net and score! Thank you, Oilers. From your fans at Oilers Radio, 6.30 Chad. Edmonton Oilers, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio, 6.30 Chet. From the past season, April 9th, Connor McDavid getting his 100th point. He was the only NHL player to do so this season. Wins the Art Ross. I would think he's going to win the Hart. The awards will be given out in Vegas on June 21st. The Blue Jays looking good tonight. Up, uh, what is it now? 7-2 on the Mariners. Top of the eighth. Justin Smoke, 3-for-3 three three with four RBIs. He has a homer, so the Jays looking good in that one. Basketball playoff, San Antonio looking good to eliminate Houston in Game 6. The Spurs are up 73-53 halfway through the third quarter. Canadian Mackenzie Hughes tied for the lead after Round 1 of the Players' Championship. He and William McGirt both 5-under in the opening round. The Sabres have hired Jason Botterill as their general manager. He'd been the associate GM in Pittsburgh. Canada wins at the World Hockey Championships 3-2 over France. They're 4-0. Leon Dreisaitl going to play for Germany at the Worlds. Henrik Lundqvist will go play for Sweden. My name is Reid Wilkins, Inside Sports on 630 Chet. Thanks a lot for tuning in tonight. Uh, Farmer Todd says, why not call Chris Getzlaff and ask him if his brother was always a bully? We did have Chris Getzlaff on before the series. Spoke very highly of his brother and his athletic ability. Uh, this texter says, Reed Eberly has been a success, 22nd pick, second in goals from his draft year, shooting percentage uh, of eight this year, well below average, 20 goals every year of his career, except the lockout, I feel he will rebound next year. Uh, Jim says, what is with Sekera not wanting to pass the puck to McDavid the whole year? Jim, I'm going to be perfectly honest with you, I watched all 82 Oilers playoff games and all 13 or I watched all 82 regular season games and all 13 playoff games. I never thought Andre Secker was not passing the puck to Connor McDavid. I guess you noticed something that I didn't. We have Elvis on the open line. Hello, Elvis. Reed, I just want to thank you for a fantastic season this year, uh, the way you guys covered it. And, you know, I was uh, uh, opening up lines and letting people talk about the, the, what a great season it was. Uh, first of all, and second of all, there was a gentleman that uh, 
I had to call in after I heard that gentleman that uh, he could tell that he was uh, he, he shaved his beard and he had tears in his eyes. That was very cool to listen to that. You know, like uh, I mean, there's a lot of passionate people that are that are so proud of what this team has done this year, and I'm one of them. And you know, I, I look at uh, uh, changes that are coming up, and people are talking about everybody, and people are talking about this and talking about that. It's 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 change is change, and I'll guarantee you. Jordan Everly has played and give, given his heart and soul for this team, and same with the Nuge and everybody else. And whoever leaves will leave. And hopefully wherever they go, sometimes they say a change is as good as a rest. And I could seriously see Jordan Everly end up uh, with the Islanders. Uh, because there, there was, a, you keep going back to that World Series or the oh, Junior the, the uh, Hammond, series. I think? Yeah. I mean, like, what, what would they package together to get that guy? Well, I mean, there were rumors a couple of years ago about Everly for Hamannick, right? Yeah. Uh, when Hamannick had asked out, I I don't know if that's going to work. Here, here, okay, here's the thing, Elvis. If you could trade Taylor Hall for Adam Larson, what do you potentially trade Jordan Everly for? Well, you know what, Jordan Everly, I would say I don't think you would get uh, Hamannick for Jordan Everly. I think you'd probably have to package something else up or retain salary, or retain salary. Yep, yeah. and I mean. Like, let's not kid, kid ourselves. Like, I mean, um, a lot of people, when, when we were watching the Oilers play this year, they're, they're, like, to hear the, like, just to listen to you driving home tonight from work and listening to all those, like, to hear how there was, uh, all the Oilers were saying was an honor, tweeting out that stuff was an honor and a pleasure to play for the Oilers. We haven't had stuff like that for 11 years. It's just, it's so amazing. I don't know, like, uh, would someone grab, like, Pouliot and Eberle? It's going to be tough to trade Pouliot. You'd have to retain salary. It's going to be tough to trade Pouliot. They might they might buy out Pouliot. Maybe they leave him for another year in a fourth-line penalty-killing role and then and then buy him out next year. I mean, at least, he, at least he could play on the fourth line and kill penalties. Now, he was overpaid to do that. I understand that upsets a lot of people. Yeah. But at least he kind of settled into a job later in the season. Absolutely. What about Vegas? Do you think Vegas would take him just to to get a player and maybe make, to take get them to the floor of the cap? Possibly with Everly. Possibly. Well, I wouldn't. I, I, I would not. I would not let let Everly go for that. I was talking more like. Uh, oh no, I don't think they'd claim Pouliot. But I, I wouldn't unprote- I wouldn't uh, leave Everly unprotected because I think if you decide to move on from him, you got to try to get something. Yeah. But I. But I. You know, I understand the other argument, but that's that's how I would approach it. And I agree with you. I mean, look at look at. Uh, uh, there's so many players that that are there that we we've like people got to open their eyes that are coming through the pipeline like uh, Pouliarvi. Uh, Picklick, there's, there's, like this organization is has depth for the first time, and I don't know how long. Well, Pooley Arvey's the the interesting one. Now, I don't know if he jumps in and gets fifty to sixty points next year, but long term, he's a pretty intriguing prospect. Absolutely, absolutely, big kid. So he do can you, shoot, do can you make send him plays. to the American League next year? Oh no, you give him a chance to make the team in camp. I mean, he was here for almost half the season this year. I think he's on the yeah. opening day roster again. That'd be perfect. Thanks, well, Elvis. Friend, like I said, thank you so much. All right, good to hear from you, Elvis. K-Jam, I'm so thrilled to hear from you. What's going on? Uh, you know what? I'm uh, I'm really satisfied with a uh, good Oilers season. You're never completely satisfied unless you go all the way. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, things are going great. And uh, hear a lot of talk about uh, what's going on. And, uh, 
Well, I mean, like, I, I don't know, I probably missed it, but have you shared what your thoughts are on Airbelay, where, where you think, you know, the team's like to go or where you would go? I, I mean, I, I don't know if he's going to be back. I, I, he had an underwhelming playoff. I, I don't think he played a Shirelli style of game. I, I didn't think he looked confident with the puck in the postseason. He didn't look like he really, you know, had that alpha male attitude that you need in the postseason. Um, I, but I just think that people are going to have to be prepared for a pretty underwhelming return if they do trade him. Yeah, you know, when you mention that he doesn't play a Peter Shirelli style of game, I think that that is probably the biggest knock against him. He didn't really, like, I mean, like, the like you get a guy like David Deharnay, and and he's not the size kind of guy, but he's the compete kind of guy. You know, Drake Kajula, um, who probably has a few more tools uh, for a compete kind of guy. But but this is my thoughts on Jordan Eberle, and I, I think that we should all be prepared that Jordan Eberle may return. And this is why, is... is You've still got the entry-level deal for Connor McDavid one more year. We're losing a bunch of guys that were, were getting overpaid in some other areas, too. I mean, Andrew Ference is going to be gone, you know. I think there's something like a, like $12 million or $13 million opening up. And now, Jordan Eberle is on a big ticket, but, I mean, he cracks 50 points every year, right? I mean, like Sam Gagne, for, for, for all that he was worth when he was here, and I, I'm a, I like Sam Gagne, but, but, I mean, he has trouble doing that and Jordan Everly does that in a bad year, right? He gets into 60 as often as not and has been a 70-point player before. And I, I feel like if you, if you get rid of that, I mean, that's exactly what you're looking to, to replace him with. And I just don't know that that's always necessarily super available. So, you know, I mean, if, if you do get a guy like Pulley RV coming in, people think of Pulley RV is going to come in and replace Jordan Eberle. Well, you know, maybe he does come in and fill that role. But, I mean, with the luxury of having Connor McDavid with the last year on his on his uh, entry-level contract, wouldn't it be nice to have depth? Wouldn't it be nice to have a guy who, who can put up some points? I know he didn't in the playoffs, but that's not to say he can't, because we've all seen what Jordan Everlay can do. He's provided this organization with with his whole NHL career, and you know he's, he's made a name for himself in the league. You know, I, I can't disagree with anything you're saying. I, I just I think it's a huge storyline going into the summer. Like I, like I said, I, I just think, and I mean, we know that since shirelli has been the GM, Everly's name has been out there, right? So, yeah. I, I, I mean, I don't know. Does does he trade Everly? Does like I'd love it if he went after Hansel in free agency. If if Hansel doesn't resign with with Mini, you know that that would be a, a great signing. I mean, I'd, I'd sooner spend that money on Hansel and ha, and give Pugliarvi or even Kajula a chance to play high up on the wing, right? To me, that's a better option. And that's what Pittsburgh does. You know, I mean, they, they play with, with uh, entry-level or college free agent wingers that that have some compete, and they go that route, and they've, they've shown they can be very successful. But, you know, at the same time, like, Malkin's on his big ticket already. Crosby's on his big ticket already. Flurry's had a big ticket. We might be able to take advantage of... of and, I, and, I mean, like, I'm not saying that Jordan Eberle is, is going to return next year and be the Jordan Eberle of years past, but, you know, it's it's sort of a year where you might be able to afford to keep a guy like that around and take a chance that he does. Well, and, 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 I, yeah. should, and I should say, I mean, he's kind of dominating the conversation, and I don't want to come yeah. across as he's the reason the Oilers no, don't have a game. No, absolutely not. 
Um, but, you know, he's, he had, and, you know, Drew Remenda said in the last half hour, he didn't play with a lot of sand in his game, no. right? And yeah. so if you're not going to be on the score sheet, you've you got to have the sand. And I think that's been a bit of a complaint about him for Would two you or say three that years you've now. Seen it, you've, you, I think that we've seen it in spurts from Jordan Eblitt. Well, I thought that when he went to the World Hockey Championship and played with, on a line with uh, Crosby and Hull that one year, yeah, but nobody, that he did show some jam. Nobody cares about that now that the Oilers were in the playoffs. <laughs> yeah, I'm not, and that's fair. But I'm just saying that the player has shown the ability in, in the past uh, to adapt his game to a situation. He's obviously... You know, didn't really have a great year of that this year. But I'm just saying, if Jordan Eberle is back next year, which I would have to say at this point, I, I, I'm guessing he probably isn't either. But if he is, that it's not a complete that, they, that it's not a complete mind boggler. Right, I understand what you're saying. Jordan back. Yeah, it's not a slam dunk for sure. KJM, great to hear from you. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right, and we got Brian on line three. Brian, you're on Inside Sports with Reed. Hey, Reed, how's it going tonight? I'm doing pretty good. Uh, so uh, I'll try and make this quick because I'll probably touch base on stuff that uh, that's already been talked about. But unfortunately, I've only been listening for about the last twenty minutes. That's okay. So, <laughs> um, first off, you know I, I've got to say the Oilers have nothing to be ashamed of. Not not a single thing. There were a lot of experts or so-called experts at the beginning of the season didn't even give them a chance to make the playoffs, let alone make it almost to the third round. And uh, you know, and so I so I totally 100% applaud the Oilers, and I think uh, the NHL better watch its back because they're going to come storming down everybody's throat next year, and for the uh, maybe the next five six years to come. Second of all, the thing, the one thing that I really found um, that I really appreciated by, about a lot of the players that I was hearing after the uh, game seven on their post-game interviews were they were proud to be an oiler and part of the organization i haven't heard a player say they were proud to be an oiler since the days really of gretzky and messier and that is such a refreshing change and and i think that in itself going to make them way a way better team with the Everly thing, I've got to say, Everly is showing the, the to me the the same signs as Justin Schultz. Um, mm-hmm. The drive just isn't there anymore. I, I mean, after it's the first time you've hit the playoffs, you get to the second round. If you can't show some energy out there when you when it's your first time, uh, man. There, there's an issue there. Well, and I, and I don't think he was doing it on purpose, but I, but I think, and Jim Matheson made this comparison in, in one of his articles a couple days ago, you just lose confidence and you get rattled and you don't you don't want the puck, right? Oh, absolutely. Like you, and, and much like Justin Schultz was. And, and, and that's exactly what I'm saying. And, and I'm thinking, you know what, man, if that's the way it is, then maybe it is time for a change. Of scenery, and now what will they get? Well, you know what? There were, you know yourself, Reed. There were tons of people, maybe ninety percent of the oiler population out there, that uh, wanted to hang somebody from the yard arm when uh, Hall got traded for Larson. I personally thought it was a great deal, uh, but no 
nobody thought that Larson was worth what Hall was worth. I think Larson proved him wrong. And, uh, you know, Pete Sorelli, he, he, he's been around the block. He, he knows his stuff. He knows what he's looking for. And he sees things that are, uh, us uh, couch coaches don't see. Right. Like, absolutely. Like something in Patrick Maroon and Zach Cassian and stuff like that. Exactly. So you're right. He's, pulled, he's mean, made some unexpected deals. want to take a shot at Cassian. Yeah. And to me, Cassian, uh, and it's just my opinion, but Cassian far outplayed Everly. Cassian had a good playoff, for sure. You know, so, but that that was all I wanted to comment about. Great show, as always, Reed, and uh, it's only three and a half more months, and the season starts. <laughs> there we go. Brian, thank you for calling. 780-496-0063. Quick timeout. Inside Sports on Chet. Hey, this is Jordan Eberle from your Edmonton Oilers. You're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio 630 Chad. All right, Blue Jays uh, win tonight 7-2 over the Mariners. Oh, it started with Oh, what's going on? I got some audio on my computer. Turning of the luck. Let me shut that off. Sorry about that, guys. We got Daryl on the open line. Hey, Daryl, you're on with Reed. Hey, Reed, how you doing? Doing quite well. Good. First-time caller, long-time listener. Thank you. Hey, just curious, what do you think the chances are that we could get Cobalt Juice rights from uh, Jersey? Oh, well, I think the way the rules work with him is is that New Jersey would have to sign him and then trade him. Yeah. Uh, oh, man, what do I think the chances are? I mean, I, don't know, like there was, I was reading a blog earlier today that somebody said that the Oilers would be one of the Eight teams that would have a chance. I mean, I I don't I don't know if I put a number on it. I didn't expect anybody to ask me this tonight. Here's something interesting, though. What if what if Jordan Everly got traded for Ilya Kovalchuk? Well, that's exactly <laughs> what's running through my mind because you've got you got Everly making six mil. I would guess that Kovalchuk would come in and sign maybe a two or a three year deal with Jersey. And Jersey's in a rebuilding mode, pretty much. So, I mean, I don't think that they'd want to keep him. They'd probably want to trade him for youth. And, obviously, with the Larson Hall trade, there's some familiarity there between the two clubs. Yep. So, it's a, an easy phone call to make. And when they're, if they're able to pull off that blockbuster Paul Larson deal, this should be peanuts for them. I think it would be a perfect fit. There's your answer to, to McDavid on the wing. Uh, if you look at Kovalchuk's numbers in, in the KHL, he's, you know, he's lighting that up. Uh, leading point getter last, this last season. Eh? Didn't they won the, win the championship this year? They did, yeah. yeah. And he's expressed that, that he wants to, or his agents has expressed that he wants to come back to the NHL. And have so, a chance at the Cup, yeah. And, and then, you know, Everly's got a shot going to Jersey and playing, playing with Hall again, right? That's that's an interesting one to watch, Daryl. I'm glad you brought that up. Thanks for phoning, man. i got to wind down the show, but I really appreciate it. Sounds good, man. Take care. All right. Thanks to everybody who called tonight. That was fun. Thanks to our studio producer, Kellen Kennedy. The producer of the show is Dave Campbell. We had Drew Remend on the show. If you miss anything, you can go to uh, Inside Sports page on 630Ched.com. Sign up for the podcast. So tomorrow, the Oilers are going to have their final player media availability. 
So we'll have some of that on Oilers now with Bob Stoffer. I'll do inside sports from 6 to 7 tomorrow night, so I hope you can join me for that. And then we'll have play-by-play of Anaheim and Nashville. I'm guessing I know who you're cheering for in that series, if anybody. Thanks a lot for tuning in tonight. Inside Sports on 6.30, Chet. Talk to you tomorrow. Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad.